Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. I'm Dana Zook. This week, I have Dr. Laura McGoodman back with me, and we are going to talk about cedar trees. But before we get going, I'm not going to make you introduce yourself again, Laura. You've recently (laughs) been on, but I would like um, maybe give the listeners some insight on what sort of fun things you do outside of work if you have a teeny tiny bit of time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, my husband and I have a a horse business. He's he's a trainer, full-time horse trainer with working cow and reining horses. And we we breed some horses as well. So quarter horses and paint horses. Uh, so that keeps us pretty busy. And then we have four kiddos too. So yeah. lots of basketball, softball, all that right. jujitsu, all, all kind of <laughs> all fun things. Kid, yes. All the kid activities. So that definitely keeps us pretty busy. Yeah. It's yeah. really fun. Yeah. It's a good good time. Our, your kids are a little older than mine, but we do share lots of kids stories. Yes. <laughs> Laura is a good mentor, mother mentor for oh. me as I have my kids. It's like you you had your you had your twins and then I had my first child. So we're just like, boom, yeah. Boom. <laughs> okay. So we have discussed drought, you know, pretty yeah. significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked, you know, how this drought is impacting our grasslands. I wanted to switch gears in this segment and focus on what you have so interestingly termed a green drought. Okay. So tell us the listeners a little bit about this term. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So we are pretty used to dealing with drought in the Great Plains. It's just the reality, especially in the Southern Great Plains, that we are going to have years that are pretty dry and we're used to that. What, What has been a more recent development would be the increase in tree cover in our pastures. You know, most most of Oklahoma was historically prairie. We have um, oak hickory and pine oak blue stem um, forest types and cross timbers across the middle, but most of Oklahoma was some kind of prairie, tall grass prairie, short grass prairie, mixed grass prairie, and didn't have a bunch of trees everywhere. Really limited tree distribution. But, you know, since we settled it and there was there's a strong push when when folks are selling Oklahoma to plant trees and woodlots and shelter belts and all sorts of things. And then, you know, at the same time as that was happening, we were trying to prevent as many wildfires. And and understandably, we don't want structures burning. But historically, the Great Plains, there was a lot of fire happening in the Great Plains. Mm-hmm. And most of Oklahoma has a fire return interval. Um, meaning that fire was returning over the exact same locations every three to five years. And so that was keeping these trees from taking over uh, these areas and keeping it as a grassland. And that's for for grasses to dominate prairies, there has to be a certain amount of fire. That's just the reality of the ecology of prairies. That's been eliminated or or decreased in frequency to a a fair amount uh, across our state. And so we have trees that are going everywhere. Mm -hmm. And eastern red cedars, the the biggest issue. Um, Yeah, I call it it the green drought because, you know, we might experience a a one-year drought, a two-year drought, or or heaven forbid, a three-year drought. But when we have trees that have taken over areas that's that's a long-term deal i mean an easter and cedar can live for 400 years right so we can have a drought when we allow these trees to take over that lasts decades or longer and so we drop the productivity in these pastures dramatically there was there was uh, some research done here in stillwater where uh, they looked at production in areas that had you know no 
cedar cover and then it ranged all the way up to 80 percent cover which is oh my goodness horribly dense mm-hmm. forest woodland i should say of cedar trees and basically for every 10 percent increase in tree cover you got a 400 pound per acre loss in grass production and so when you're looking at how many cows that'll care that you can stock on an 80 acre pasture it changes from being able to carry 10 cows year round in an 80 acre pasture or eight acres per per cow to only three only carrying only being able to to sustain grazing for three cows on 80 acres which is that's horrible i mean you've basically you just moved to a different state. Bro, I was going to say, know? like, New Mexico, is yeah. that even that bad? No, yeah, like, I mean, some it, some areas, yeah. Like yeah, desert. Some, some areas even worse. But, yes, I mean, you've just moved to an area that you've, you're have you talking about very low rainfall amounts. And so we have this happening all over our state, and we don't – yeah, we have, the, we have the ability to completely change that in our pastures. We, we can't change how much rainfall we get, but we sure can – make management decisions to help control and prevent trees from from taking over so we're we're continuing to learn i mean we've known that this has happened in our state there was some research that was done even in you know in the 80s looking at the the changes in some of our counties from the 50s to the 80s and there was already some counties that had had you know pretty large increases in cedar cover but I think it's just been something it happens so slowly or or it I mean it's happening quickly but your eyes don't notice it. Right, you're looking at it every day yeah. but you don't it's kind of like when your kids grows out of their jeans and yeah, you're like yeah. oh all that sudden. just happened yeah. like you know whether if you if you only saw him every couple of weeks you'd be like oh yeah that kid did grow yeah. <laughs> um that's a strange kind of um thing but yeah i think that's what happens mm-hmm. it's like you see it every day but you're not mm-hmm. noticing what happens unless you took a picture yeah. one year and yep. took a picture the next year or maybe five years later yeah and so this is happening not just here in oklahoma no right? no it's it's happening all over well it's all happening all over the west really so eastern red cedar is actually a juniper species, Juniperus virginiana. And juniper species, are, you know, they, they have a hard time behaving themselves. So this is <laughs> they're just, they're yeah. um, So this has happened all across the West. Um, you know, in, in, uh, in New Mexico, it's um, one seed juniper, Juniperus monosperma. And um, in Texas, we have ash juniper and a red barrier pinchot juniper. Yeah, it's happening all over the place and so these these species are not soil specific so in oklahoma we have a bunch of oaks that you know they pretty well behave themselves they kind of stick to the sandier soils they don't they don't come out into our um, clay loams and our um, our tighter soils but the cedar trees do and the cedar trees will take over areas that you know historically have been grassy but they also take over areas that have been forested. I mean, we have we have them. They're encroaching into forests and in causing issues in forest health just as much as they are in prairies. And so they're they're the main culprit. But we have a lot of other trees that are also native to the state, but are growing in areas they didn't always live in. So like uh, black locust, for example, black locust was only really found in one county in Oklahoma, way far east. And now it was planted in woodlots in 
the west side of the state and we'll you'll find black locust and honey locust in areas out west that ensured it was never there historically so yeah we have a lot of trees that are growing lots of places luckily eastern red cedar is fairly easy to kill that's not true for all of these species but if you cut it below its lowest most branch you can kill it if you burn it and it completely consumes the canopy we don't have any green left after that fire you can kill it um, that's better than most of these resprouting species. Right. It does so. not resprout, which I, that was new to me when I came to Oklahoma. Like I didn't know that it didn't resprout. So yeah. that's an advantage. Yes, for sure. Yep. The, so we also have ash juniper or blueberry juniper in Oklahoma. That one also doesn't resprout. We also have redberry. Redberry does resprout. Oh. Not a, you know, there's Southwest Oklahoma and we have redberry, but, okay. but that one does resprout. So if you're managing that one, that one you'd have to treat the stump or else, um, it would it would respire right. after you cut it. Some people believe these trees are good for wildlife. Yeah. What's the validity to that statement? Well, anytime anybody says that something's good for wildlife, you have to ask, well, what species is it good for? Mm-hmm. Because of course you can find a wildlife species that- Right, <laughs> the birds like it, yeah, like right. the flying birds, yeah. yeah. So one of the, most of the birds that like eastern cedar, we've got a lot of generalist birds that like eastern cedar and we don't, the birds that are of the most concern in Oklahoma are our grassland birds because mm-hmm. regionally grassland birds, uh, across North America, ra- grassland birds are in the greatest, steepest decline versus any other bird guild. And that that's because we the grasslands have been pinched from a lot of angles, right? Grasslands make excellent crop fields. So right. We, so we use them and that we need to. But they're being pinched from that side. So we've had conversion. But then we also have this woody plant encroachment um, that's happening and is taking over. And so um, it's happening at the greatest rate in Texas and Oklahoma. But uh, Kansas, Nebraska, the Dakotas, Montana and Wyoming, it's happening in all of these states. Yeah, it's just happening at different rates. And and um, in some states, you know, we're lucky in Oklahoma that people have stopped planting um, cedar trees and shelter belts in most of the state, mm-hmm. um, and our and our we have a great forestry service that agrees that it's not a tree that we want to be planting everywhere. We uh, we just we're getting overrun with it in some in some places, and it's happening on the west side of the state too, which is mm-hmm. you know is it's making it's a march. It's almost like yes. the pictures that you've shown. It's just yeah. is marching across the state yeah. from east to west. Yep, and you know it's it's hard for livestock producers. It can be very expensive to manage these, especially once they get large, because they grow so big. With fuel prices and everything, it's well over $300 an acre now to pay somebody to come in and do mechanical treatments. At least any time that I've had it done, it's been well over that. Right. You know, and um, it's increasing our wildfire um, issues with uh, being able to control wildfires. Like wildfires that are in grasslands are much easier to get put out than when they're burning a cedar woodland. And Oh, my um, goodness. They're just like... Are they oily? Is that what makes them just yeah, ignite? I mean, there's some vol. There's they're we call them a volatile fuel. There's a, there's some oils in them that make them once they do light, um, makes them burn very hot. Okay. And the flame lengths on a cedar tree that's burning can you know be hundred feet high. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. And then then you just it's so hard for it, and it's dangerous for our right our, um, the safety firefighters. Yeah, like um, 
you know, and, and the scariest part is when they're when they're close to structures and mm-hmm. to homes and stuff. And, you know, I think people are, oh, well, it's an evergreen. So it's a good privacy plant, but it's such a dangerous plant to have um, near near your home. That that's probably the scariest part about. Yeah. About these trees being planted around. Yeah. And we're allowed to grow. We've witnessed it. And I mean, since I've been in extension, two or three very large yeah. wildfires in the west and and we've just been experiencing this this spring yeah you know in, yeah. in very populated areas so yeah just um yeah just it's, it's a real big safety issue yep in your talks that you did in mm-hmm. our forage meetings across the northwest this spring you or you quizzed the producers you said <laughs> you gave them a picture and mm-hmm. you said are the few cedar trees in this picture there was mm-hmm. a couple mm-hmm. do you think that this is a problem and you asked them that and we had that discussion mm-hmm. People now that have lots of pastures that are shorter than normal, you can really see those teeny tiny oh, cedar yeah. trees out there. So talk about the risk of encroachment. Yeah. Are, are these little tiny cedar trees that we see here and there around our pastures, are they, are they, should they be a concern or should we just ignore them? Yeah. So the easiest time to control those trees is for sure when they're small. So we know that these trees start to produce seed at about five or six years old. At around six years old, they're producing seed at about five feet tall. That's usually about the height that they are when they when they start to produce seed. So there's separate male and female trees. When they start to produce seed, of course, then you just have that many more seedlings that you're going to be dealing with. So when we have these seedlings, if we can kill them before they start producing seed, of course, then we have less trees that we're going to be battling in the years to come. It's best to try to to control them and it's by far the best economic decision to control them when they're small it's cheapest then and so we can we can kill them with fire if they're really small if you're haying or brush hogging you know you can you can kill them sometimes we have a wildfire come through and it kills a lot of trees for us but then there's a couple that remain alive and so there's a couple options that you can, if you're if you're comfortable with it, you can go in and do individual tree ignitions while everything's still black and there's no fuel. Once when, when the weather conditions are, are right, you know we have low wind speeds and stuff. We can go in and indiv- or we can cut those cut those trees down um, and just completely eliminate any of our seed sources. And so preventing seed production really should be the goal. I think what's happened is we. We sometimes ignore the ones that are growing in the fence line or in an area that maybe we're, we have a hay, we're in an area that we're haying, but there's a spot that's kind of rough that we never hay and we, the, the cedar trees start to fill in that spot. The minute you start, the year you start, um, you stop haying that hay meadow, it doesn't take very long for those cedar trees because there's all this seed that's been scattered over those, over that land. Mm-hmm. And the cedar seedlings start to grow really, really quickly. The The issue is, is that each of those female cedar trees, it, the seed that she's producing or it's mm-hmm. producing mm-hmm. is being spread over about 26 acres. So about 200 yards from that tree is how far those seeds are getting spread. And they're mostly being, being spread by birds. There are certain birds that like to eat those seeds and they'll eat the berries off of the trees and then the and then it's they're getting spread all over the place. If we can keep, you know, n- we can make sure we don't have any seed bearing trees, that's really our best way to prevent encroachment. You know, if you looked at how many trees it would take to con- completely contaminate a uh, an 80 acre pasture. Oh, it's not is, very many. No, what is it? 3, 4? 
Is it like twenty? Like yeah, four three, trees, yeah, four large. Three. Yeah, mature, like if they were all female for yeah, yeah. them. Exactly. Yeah. So it is a huge concern. So yes. it, so I think you've talked about our priorities mm-hmm. as far as cedar control. What yeah. are our priorities? Yeah. Our priorities sound like they're those tiny trees. So I would say if you so if they're teeny tiny, you have a couple years. Kill all of the seed bearing trees. You don't need more seeds and more seeds and more seeds mm-hmm. every year. Get rid of as many as you can. And if you're a smaller landowner, if you can work with your neighbors, it's best to do so. Mm-hmm. Like if if they're if you know if you guys are on good terms and you can all can kind of come to the same agreement that we want to make sure to not have to deal with this issue. Let's kill all these female trees. You know, if they have berries. On the ground below them, they are a female tree. Okay, that's a good point. I mean, on the branches, you know, that's a female tree. The male trees are the ones that kind of have like yellowish, light green tint because they're pollen producing. Okay, well, that's a reason to kill them too, Laura. Yeah, well, that's true. That's yes. true. <laughs> Aren't that's we all true. dealing with that oh, this spring? Goodness. Holy cow! I'm sitting here rubbing my eyes. Oh, <laughs> the wind and the dust and the pollen. Yes, but you but know, killing, keeping keeping them keeping the places that are clear, clear, clear. Yeah. So focusing your management in the areas where you have. You know, a lot of times we always were like, oh, we can make the biggest dent if we cut all these trees that are in a clump. Well, all those trees that are in a clump are all impacting the same acres, right? Mm-hmm. So don't focus there first because they're going to take the most time. Focus on the trees that are scattered everywhere that are impacting 26 acres each, you know, and and get rid of those trees. There, there We do have herbicide that Pronone pellets is a herbicide that it's a, it's um, same thing that's in Velpar. It's hexazenine. That's a so, those are soil applied herbicides. Um, Picloram is a foliar applic. If you know whatever means you need, if if you if you have the equipment to cut them mechanically or use a herbicide, whatever, kill those mature trees and prevent any more seeds from being, you know, spread on on your property, and then. And then focus on those trees and make sure that you kill those small trees before they're seed bearing um, so you don't have to deal with more and more incoming seed. Just refocusing on making sure that we're kind of trying to keep the areas that are open as open as possible. Um, And then I would say last priority is those dense woodland areas. Those areas are going to take more work and they're worth working on, but keeping the open areas open is the cheapest and easiest thing to do to start out with. I've always thought also like the areas that have had wildfire go through Mm -hmm. and they have the skeletons. You've always said Mm -hmm. that those are perch spots for birds to spread more seed. Yeah. Those are problems too. Yeah, they're dead because they've been burned, but Mm -hmm. they really need to be removed in some way. If if you can do that in some ways, that's interesting. They end up going back. So... those cedar skeletons aren't going to break down before that area is re-invaded or re-cedar trees are re-established there because because you do have so many perch sites and and the birds are just dropping Mm -hmm. seeds back in those locations and we have some landowners that have gone in and and done mechanical treatments where they've gone in with shears or saws and cut and and cut those trees down there's also we also have a you know a chain that you can drag between two dozers and knock all of those skeletons they need to decompose um they need you need the roots to start to break down so you can really knock them over easily and have the the lowest amount of soil disturbance 
like um, three years, right? You say uh, three or four years, a couple of years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You could, you could probably do it after, um, after one or two, Dep- it depends on the soil type. Right. But, but anyway, then, then it, you know, the chain kind of also helps to kind of bunch them up and then you can burn them right. in, in burn piles. Um, you know, some folks, after the grass starts to regrow underneath those cedar skeletons, sometimes they'll start doing burns through there. And those that's another way to do it. There's lots of different things you can try. Mm-hmm. There's definitely reinvasions that happen in, in right. those cedar skeleton areas. I can I can hear people thinking. I can hear people thinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so it could be so expensive. Yeah. But yeah. that's why we're saying keep the clear places clear and yeah. slowly work on the yep. problem problem places. You know, it's all about prevention, which is a lot yeah. of things. But this to me, you know, with the cost of fuel and equipment, mm-hmm. oh, so expensive. Yeah. Um to to re, you know, get rid of those large cedar trees, but I think it's a it's a task worth trying. Yeah. You know, work working worth working at, you yeah. know. Yeah, and I think you know, coming up with a long-term plan, like what is the, what's the approach I'm going to take and how am I going to try to remain, remain as cedar-free as possible? There's definitely cost share money available for oh, cedar. Good point. Yeah. And, you know, I just saw that there, there was that bill that passed with the North Canadian watershed. They're um, going to be hopefully putting some money towards helping people keep, um, keep the North Canadian clear uh, as well. And so I think, we have some help available for for people that are interested in doing this. Um, but I think regardless of how you do it, just coming up with a long-term plan because it's not kind of a, you know, what we what, what happened a lot in the past was that people would get maybe cost share money from um, NRCS or something like that. And they would, they'd cut all the cedar trees, but then there wouldn't be any kind of follow-up treatment. Mm-hmm. Then areas get reinvaded. And we know that the reinvasion comes faster Okay. Even then the initial invasion, because we just have all these seed sources mm-hmm. um, that were there for a long time. And even though we cut them down, there's still seeds there. And they don't they don't remain viable for very long, just a couple years actually. The seeds after about two years, most of those seeds are dead if they haven't started growing. But we've got to stay on it and we've got to make sure that we don't allow any seeds to reach yeah. maturity again. And so that's why that fire return interval. Um, of every three to five years, you know, if you're having, if you have fire every five years, you're not allowing anything to get to maturity to produce seed. And that's what prevented this from happening in the past. So anyway, such good discussion. (laughs) I think it's, I think it's a topic just, we just need to continue to talk about, you know, for sure. It's the number one thing for, for forage production. It's, it is decreasing forage production more than anything else in our state. Yeah. And you see it everywhere. No place is immune. I mean, Great, great topic, Laura. Um, I hope the listeners have learned some things. I, I know I have. Um, definitely about the seed bank. Like, don't even think about that when you think about cedar trees. But that's yeah. a big deal. So all all of the information that we talked about today, some supporting material will be in the show notes. But thanks, Laura, for yeah. joining me on these two segments. No problem. Yeah. It's great. Thank you so much. So we'll have all that available to you. I hope you guys have a great week. And um, we'll catch you next time. 